All right, if you all take your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 John tonight. We're probably going to be in 2 John for many, many weeks. <laughs> Just kidding, there's only 13 verses <laughs> in this book. But we're going to cover really the ones in the middle, because you've got introductory ones, and then you've got concluding ones too. But the focus here is practice and performance. This is one of those books similar to when we did a study in Philemon. You guys remember that? We went verse by verse through Philemon, and it was a really good exercise of Christ's forgiveness. Okay, this is how you need to demonstrate it. Philemon having somebody who burned him, um, somebody who was under his household. They left. Paul led that man to Christ, and Paul says, hey, welcome him back, and not just welcome him back, but use him. He's, he's part of the family now. He's put his trust in Jesus Christ. He was a help to me. None of that would be possible without the love that was demonstrated by God. I like books like this. They're small, but they're very practical. It shows what the Christians should be practicing and what their performance should look like. A lot of people think that you know, practice and performance in the Christian life is just for the deacons, the elders, and the pastor. No, it's for everybody in the church. We have the expectation by the Word of God, and I'm going to show you that in a minute, you have two different addresses here. There's an expectation to do right, to walk as the Lord has said. And there are people that are addressed in the scripture that are not doing right, and they get chided for it. They get strong rebuke. There's always a way back to that restored fellowship. But then there's also letters like this, where there's strong encouragement, and almost like answering a question. I'll make that case for you as we go. But you're there in 2 John. I want you to make sure you hold your spot. And just go with me very quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is important because what you're going to see here is there's, there's a different response from, from Paul. Now, Paul, John, they have the same gospel. They're doing the same things in different ways. Paul is uh, very doctrinal. God used him um, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to reveal some great doctrinal truths. They're heavy books like Romans, and I don't mean they're heavy because they're heavy on the soul, so to speak, but there's a lot of doctrine in them, a lot of connecting things from the Old Testament with the New Testament, seeing how Christ is that connector. But when he's writing to Corinth, there were major problems. And he's getting to the root of the issue, which is you're carnal. You're walking uh, in your flesh only. Don't you know you have a spiritual nature? Walk in that. And he makes this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. It's on page 1212. He says, now I beseech you, it's a very interesting phrase, this is, he's, he's begging them about something specific. So the error is so intense that he's begging them to change it. Brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, so he's not asking on his behalf, for, but for Christ's behalf, that ye all speak the same thing. I want you to underline this and underscore it. And that there be no divisions among you. I would circle speak divisions and link those two together when you start to get divisions in a local church or in the body of christ as a whole it's because of this right here that tongue what people say and they say it privately and the private parties get larger and then the next thing you know you have a majority of the church that is secretly against the teaching of god's word i we, you really can't stop that from happening. You say, why? Because people are carnal. There are baby Christians that think they know a lot, but they lack a lot of biblical discernment. That's not to say they can't get it, but they're not willing to get it. They're not doing the work. They want to do the cut around, all sorts of stuff like that. Usually I see this a lot 
with people that lean towards Calvinism. A lot of young men are attracted to Calvinism right now. And the reason why is because it is the intellectual's religion. <laughs> this is for the smart guy. It's in our church library. We have it. It's under a reference book, but uh, Calvin's Institutes of Religion. I mean, it's four major books, six, seven hundred pages each. And, you know, you're reading it, and it's, it's just el- so eloquently laid out, but it takes a lot. You've got to kind of have a fork and knife and cut up sentences to understand what he's saying. I'm not saying that intellectual reading is bad, but when it is contrary to what the Bible says and it causes divisions by what you're saying, it's a major problem. He wants, Paul is saying, I want you to speak the same thing and be united, not speak against one another and be divided. Look what he says, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The mind is what we think. The judgment is how we portray what we're thinking. The problem in Corinth was they were so divided amongst each other from all these different heresies that were being brought in and really the idolization of self that it was beginning to cut the whole body in half. Look at verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now we know from Proverbs 13.10 that contention is, the, the sole result of contention is what? Pride. So not only do you have people speaking a different thing that's leading to divisions, they're doing it with the intent of, I'm going to own you by knowing more than you. There is nothing that I dislike more than that attitude. It is the worst. The worst thing is when I have somebody call me, and this actually has not happened in a while, but boy, when I was first pastoring, this was, I felt like this was happening every month. There would be somebody who would get on the phone dial the church, go through the church, and get my office with the sole intent of lining me up. Man, they were going to set me straight. And it's like, you, you know, I, I come from customer service, okay? I mastered all the greetings, all the de-escalation tactics, you know. You know, my first job with real customer service was Macy's Furniture Embedding Customer Service, okay? Grace is nodding her head because she's familiar with the Macy's world, <laughs> But I was, the, I was the guy that called you and said, we're not delivering your $2,000 sofa today that you've been waiting for for two weeks. Everybody wants to hear from me, but they don't want to hear that from me. And so I would have to call and say, oh, delivery's delayed and they're not going to be there. Can we reschedule for next week? And everybody's upset. You get that $75 delivery credit. Most of the time, I'd say five or six times out of 10, that would ease people. But there'd be those four people, man that they just are having a bad day. And you are the punching bag, and they'll let you have it. And you had to learn, you know, those calls, they come in, they go. The worst ones were when people called in for their $2,000 furniture that they did not properly condition. What's a great thing to know about buying leather? It distresses, okay? It's, if, if you want leather that doesn't show distress, get pleather. It's a lot cheaper, it'll look better too. <laughs> no problem with that. Everybody, no one has the expectation for pleather to distress. It'll crack and flake on you. But I remember calling people and telling them after the warranty people have come out and denied their warranty. It's so funny. They never give the adjuster's phone number. The guy who actually denied the warranty, they give him my number. So they call through. That, that line comes in. Hi, my name's Jesse. Thanks for calling Macy's Furniture. Just all of a sudden, it's like raining down. And I, I'll be honest with you. I would prefer that than the kind of calls I get here at the church sometimes. 
they sound so sweet and so nice. And then as soon as they know they have a foot in with you, they want nothing more but to destroy you. There's no, brother, let me come alongside you. We're in this together. No, we are, in, the, in, in their mind, diametrically opposed. And it's hot language, not in that it's, it's foul, but it's just, it's like venom. It's like acid rain. And you're sitting here and you're going, okay, you're, you're taking that call. You're going, there are two things I have to address here. First of all, is this person saved? Because if they're lost, then I know they're deceived. I need to have compassion so that I can reach that person and s- expose the deception. Second of all, if they are saved, I need to make sure they don't treat other people like this. Because their growth is going to go real south. The only kind of growth they're going to have is what Hebrews says, bitterness. And it's, it's, it, it's a root that springs up and the scripture says, defiles many. That's such an accurate description of bitterness. Even by the way some people carry themselves, with, you know, the way they look, you can just read. Have you ever seen this with people? And I'm, I'm, We all have bad days, I get it. But there's just sometimes you can look at somebody and go, they're struggling. They're having a tough day. Well, you know, you don't want to be that way forever. You want to have a smile on your face, recognize who you are in Christ, recognize the promises that are given to you. But if you're in bitterness, you don't see those things. It's like, it's, it, it, it just blinds you from seeing the truth of things. But that's the kind of attitude I see here in Corinth. There was no, hey, let's get it right. Let's get on the same page. Let's discuss this. I've had many times. Trent has come in my office. Bob has come in my office. And, and we'll just talk about doctrine. But in no way is, is it like Trent's coming in there with a, you know, I can't wait to get him with this one. What about this? Boom! And oh, my goodness. And now he's got one over me. Put it on the scoreboard. Dr. Gilbert doesn't treat me that way. None of the elders or, or, or deacons here have that attitude because we're all trying to get and do the same thing. A lot of churches are like that, though, the way I described, where it's a flexing contest of who's the smartest elder of them all, who's the smartest member in the church. Oh, the pastor, he just does topical stuff. You want real Bible, you go to so-and-so. That attitude can spring up real quickly, and it causes division. Look at what it says here. This is a great statement in verse uh, 12. Well, 12 is kind of telling you the actual problem, but 13 is a great zooming out to see what the real effect is. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of of Christ. So what was happening here? They're, They're dividing themselves based on who was winning them to Christ, based on who baptized them. Verse 13, Paul makes a great statement. Is Christ divided? And I'll ask you that question. When we look at the body of Christ, is it divided? Is there the Northeast Conference and the Southwest Conference? No, that doesn't, that doesn't apply. It's many members, but how many of the body? One. It's one unified body. And if there's anything that is expressly distinguished about the body of Christ is that there is one head, and that is Jesus Christ. The head controls it all. You got a hand that's out of control, you have an all capital letter problem. <laughs> if you have a hand that does things and you don't know why, you're not going, oh, you know, this is normal. It's a major problem. Is Christ divided? Look what he says in the next statement. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Now, this is also just a great little thing to highlight about how insignificant baptism is to salvation of the soul. <laughs> 
If baptism is what saved, Paul is essentially saying here, I'm glad I didn't save any of you. Not to say that we diminish it, but the problem in Corinth is that they were highlighting who baptized them as to, I'm better. It's literally like how people would look at, you know, sports and stuff. It's crazy. That's not how the body of, of Christ works. What's the most important thing about the body of Christ? We're redeemed by him, by faith in him alone. He's the one that leads us, guides us, and directs us. We have that sealing of the Holy Spirit that also guides us in all truth. But we've got to go the same direction together. Um, look at uh, verse 15. Lest any should say that I had baptized in my own house. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. And he comes to this conclusion. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So Paul's on a mission to preach the gospel. The people in Corinth heard it. They believed it. There's no question as to whether they were saved or not. The problem was they got prideful. They did not practice, and it showed in their performance. I said as a joke, the game that I was watching before I came here, I know, knowing Grant, you know, now I have a much different perspective of NFL players. They are real people. But sometimes, folks, you can tell when one coach is more prepared than the other. And there's just one team out there that's just getting slaughtered in every aspect of the game. If there's a pass, it's for a major gain. If it's for a run, it's a breakaway run. Even on special teams, the punt is getting 10, 20, 30 yards. That's a sign of a, of a team that's not prepared. They are executing a scheme, but it's not the proper performance. Those teams lose. And you say, how do you know that? I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan. I know all, all about that. <laughs> Paul's goal was accomplished. Those men and women were saved. But pride came in, it affected their practice, and it led to poor performance. So the rest of the book, it's all, listen, listen to this. You need to change this. This is what you think. This is what God says. Get in line with God. And I'm not going to go to, ver to chapter 3 for the sake of time, but he says, I would talk to you as spiritual, but I can't because you're carnal. It's a major indication of the condition of his audience. Saved, but squandering their growth. Then you have 2 John. Let's go to 2 John. Very different. Very different. I imagine they opened this letter, and it was like, John has written us. You know, like... <laughs> The elder unto the elect lady, this is 2 John, starting there in verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love, in the truth. This is very important. And they say, no, that's not important. It's just, you know, whatever, in truth. It's kind of just, a, it's, it's kind of just an opening statement. No, it's not. You should highlight that. Why? Because that's what John writes about. John is a man of truth. John is a man who says, know the truth, don't depart from the truth, and be able to identify when it's a lie. He says, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Now, if you've read 1 John and you've studied it, you can see that the truth is what John is hanging on. That's Jesus Christ, and that he has come in the flesh, that he is the Son of God, the Messiah. This is important because of all the things that were being said at that time. Now, when this was written, probably 30-something years after 
what Paul had written. This is in A.D. 90. So what's significant about that? The Jews were already well into their persecution. The, the uh, Jerusalem sacked. And you're, you're talking about the church is now growing on its own in a state of persecution. People are still coming to faith in Christ, but now people are coming in and they're trying to, from the devil, pick off the growth. You're going to see what that specific attack is. But what John is saying in this opening statement is, I love you because of Jesus Christ, and not just me that loves you, but all of those who also know him. He is the truth. For the truth's sake, verse 2, which dwelleth in us. Now, we talked about that earlier this morning in 1 John chapter 5. The Spirit beareth witness. He that believeth the record of God hath the witness in himself. That witness is not the evidence of the works in your Christian life. That witness is the Holy Spirit. You've got that in you. So when he says here in verse 2, for the truth's sake, for the protection of that truth, what is that truth? Believe on the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ, and you will receive eternal life. That's the truth. What I want you to see here, and we typically do this on Sunday nights, just go verse by verse, it's a little more relaxed. We are not departing from the gospel. John is not saying, you know, I'm so glad you understand the fullness of predestination or the deep mysteries of God. He's sticking on the things that are important. Our salvation is still important. He's still writing about it here. Why do we practice so we have good performance? For the sake of the truth. You know how damaging it is when a man of God falls into sin publicly? It's just another stone for the world to throw at Christianity. Every other major religion, it's kind of, there's a, there's a built-in tolerance, almost an embrace from the world. But man, when it comes to Jesus Christ, even his name and Christianity, there's so many attacks. I mean, you see it in the culture today. You see it in the Hollywood sphere. You see it in our music and all sorts of stuff like that. Why is it that everything is getting more and more demonic, specifically about Satan? Why is that? Well, because he's the one that's getting these things going. He's the prince and the power, the ruler of this world. He does have power here. And you see it in how the world operates. I think it's pretty interesting, some of the people that are starting to come onto the scene here. They're getting so close to things that sound like, you know, conservative Christian principles, but they deny any kind of power. Well, Jesus Christ, you know, he's just a myth. There's no truth in him. When you recognize the power of the Antichrist, when he comes, that one man, that he is going to proclaim himself as God and people will worship him in that way. Scripture is very clear. He's not going to say like he's just a great leader. He's going to sit in the temple and say, God is here. Can you imagine that happening today? Well, you know what's really scary? There's kind of programs out there you can pay a certain amount of money a, a month, like a monthly subscription, and you can have artificial intelligence scour a certain voice. You know, let's say you wanted to Let's say you wanted to make it like Steve Harvey was promoting your product. Well, you could pay these AI tools to scour all the voice samples of Steve Harvey that are out there, and he will say exactly what you want him to say as if he is endorsing your product. This already happened. It happened to Steve Harvey. Can you imagine how scary that is? That literally, someone could have the same 
face as you, you know, there's deep fake technology out there too, to make you say whatever they want you to say. It shows me, boy, this is going to be used by the Antichrist. 100%. I don't know to what extent, but there's certainly a lot of things out there that are proposing to be the truth. John's statement here is, for the truth's sake, look at what it says at the next part in verse 2, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. So this is the Holy Spirit personified because of the truth, which is only given to those who believe. That's the basis of his writing. And then he he makes his salutation in verse 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. It's very significant that he says from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. That's important because what was happening in his day, and we see it even now today, one of the top five religions, Islam, says that Jesus was a good man. That he was sent by God. That he's even a prophet. When they say Jesus' name, they say, peace be upon him, in the respect that they do for prophets. But they 100% fully deny that he is the Son of God. That is not a coincidence. That is exactly what John warned us many, many years ago. You see how close to the truth a lie can get? But it's still a lie doesn't change. Well, it's really close, so we'll accept it. No, no, that's how you start to compromise on the truth. Then he says this in verse 4. So verses 1 through 3, the opening, the basis for his letter here, I'm just glad we're all in this together. He says in verses 4 through 6, he demonstrates the ethic of this ministry that he's writing to. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. That's significant because that's the whole one of the whole themes of 1 John, walk in the truth, keep his commandments. He's not, he's not saying that this has verified their conversion, that they're really saved now, but they're, they're practicing and they're performing well. Can you imagine the difference? In Corinth, they open that letter and they go, guys, get in here. This is, this is bad. <laughs> we have problems. And they get John's letter and they're like, you know what? Let's have a picnic. This is good. Let's have a party. Let's read this. This is great. Both the body of Christ being addressed. But one is being affected by pride and sin. The other one is actually walking in the truth. And that caused great joy for John. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in the truth, verse 4, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee. That's very express language from 1 John. But that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And that's all through 1 John. It's not a new commandment. It's only new in the sense that it started with the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Love one another. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about how you maintain Christian growth and how you can bear fruit. And I beseech thee, uh, excuse me, uh, verse, verse 6, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. You ever heard the phrase, you know, talk is cheap? It is, even in Christianity. You can say one thing to somebody else, but inwardly, it's the complete opposite. John has something for you. He calls you a liar. Well, that's not loving. It is love. Why? Because it's the truth. 
Can you imagine if God's love was just tolerance? All roads would lead to heaven. He would, he would accept anything which would be a shame to his son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But boy, that's what a lot of people believe. Well, I want to be tolerant, that's love. And our culture is kind of getting to the end of that, I think. Personally, I see it more and more with all this stuff that's going on with gender and all that. It, it's getting to a point where people are like, we're not doing this anymore. Because it's, first of all, I think the most interesting development was this past summer with all of these things that were going on about the transgender movement specifically and children. You start to reveal that agenda, even the person who's, you know, the 80% that's not yet made up their mind on things, they see stuff like that and they just know that's wrong. And that came out this summer, but folks, rest assured, next summer will just be more intense. The bar has been set, it'll be calm for a little bit, and then there'll be another thing, and then the thing that we said was offensive two or three years ago is the standard. That's how it goes. Little by little. He's not gonna, the, the devil's not going to flood everything. Little by little. And that's how we have compromise in our Christian lives. Oh, it's just a little bit of this. It's just a little bit of that. You're not going to do it again. Next thing you know, two years later, what you called a little is your daily practice. It's a major problem. That, as ye have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. That's the end of verse 6. So that's the Christian ethic. Now, I want you to see this verse 7 statement. For many deceivers are entered into the world. So stop here for just a second. Before we go at what John says specifically to this elect lady and her children, what he says here, we're going to look at that in a minute, but I want you to see 2 Peter chapter 2. I plan on doing many series uh, next year. I'm really excited about it. But one of the verse-by-verse -verse things we're going to do is 2 Peter chapter 2, because it's really good. A lot of things in there that are difficult, but they have good statements, good truth. Verse 1 in 2 Peter chapter 2 says this. Excuse me. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So stop for a second here. What is Peter mentioning here? What he means specifically is, similar to what Paul did, he's showing you Old Testament reality, New Testament guarantee. Okay, what does that mean? The reality in the Old Testament were, as they wandered through the wilderness, people falsely taught that God had abandoned, that it would have been better for them to stay in Egypt. And that's why they wandered for all that time. So what Peter is saying is, if it's true for them that there were false teachers, It'll be true now. And that's exactly what he says. Look at the next part of that. There were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately, or privily. Well, what is that word? Just privately. What does that mean? Without recognition. If somebody came into the church today with a huge backpack and a trench coat, and they, they, they are automatically heightened, I would pay attention to that and go, something is not right there. But if someone were to come in in plain clothes with the intent to do harm, but not showing anything on the outside, I might not be able to, I'm supposed to pretend all of you are threats. No, naturally, I have a level of trust. That's how these false teachers are. They sound like you, they look like you, but they are not of you at all. It's not that they're deceived believers 
most of the time, they're false teachers in that they were never truly converted. What does it mean to be truly converted? They never put their trust in the Son. Never. And they sneak in, and they go into places like small groups, group chats, prayer chains, all that kind of stuff. That's an opportunity. Why? Because those areas, there's not a high level of trust. It's very basic. I've seen this happen before. In Bible studies, I told you about this, that I used to attend, and I, I would go, and I'd go, that guy does not believe what the pastor believes. And it wasn't of this church, it was a church that I was trying to win some people at. And I realized, like, man, I know what their doctrinal statement says. And this guy, he already has it in his mind that he disagrees, and he's going to get the whole church to go with him. And that is exactly how that happens. And he does not walk into the Bible study and say, I'm taking over this church. We're going to do it my way now. He sits in, he takes notes. Asks an innocuous question, you know, innocent, how about this? How about that? Have you ever considered? And then those who are weak in their Bible discernment, they go, hmm, maybe. Well, why don't you come talk to me about it? And we'll, I'll teach you. Hey, if you ever have a question, you come to me first. Don't, don't bother Pastor Jesse. He's busy. Three years later, the church is split, and that man's leading 70% of the people out. You know how that happens? They walk in privately, unaware. And this is what... It is said of them, they shall bring in a certain kind of heresy, damnable heresy. That's a strong, that's a strong statement. Even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. We're not going to study that part because that's a separate statement. Very good study though. Verse two, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Bingo, right there. That's the jackpot. The lights are going off. You win the prize. What did they speak evil of? The truth. And that truth, I believe the subject of that here, is the gospel. The truth about Jesus Christ. By, way of whom, uh, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through what are, what are their internal means that you don't see externally, but internally we know what's going on? Covetousness shall with their feigned words make merchandise of you. This is one of those things that when I study it privately, I do a little one of these. Because <laughs> I literally know these people sell books. That's all they do. They sell books. I'm convinced there's one guy who just knows when blood moons are happening and he already has a book ready to go. The, the, you know, let's say the next blood moon isn't happening for the next five years. He already has a book about it. He's already ready to tell you the new secrets of 2027. I mean, it's just without end. These guys sell their books, sell their books, sell their books. Go look at all the things that Kenneth Copeland has written. This guy, he's, he's like a bestseller on some of his stuff. It's junk. But people buy it up. They go, oh, I, I can't serve God without Kenneth Copeland. What does he say? What does he say? Oh, I got to buy more. And you know what gets left out? The way of truth. This. Do you see how thick this is? I'm not trying to be, you know, make fun of anything. My point is, there's a lot in here. There's a lot in here to know and connect. You don't really need somebody else's, you know, secrets that you have to pay for to teach you the truth, but that's exactly the way they do it. They make merchandise of you. Now, specifically here, this doesn't mean they, they buy books but meaning they just, they just pick you as if you were offerings, you know? 
I'm going to pick up this person, pick up that person. Make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. This is a great tie into Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because judgment against an evil work is slow, the, the wickedness of man abounds. That's not exactly what that verse says, but what that verse is saying is, it takes a long time for justice to be served, and men just stay wicked that entire time. They get the most that they can. And these false teachers, their heresy is damnable. They lie about the truth, and they lay captive to many people. And you say, well, I'm, that's not going to be me. Careful, because it does say many are led away by their pernicious ways. You stay close to the truth, you can identify an error. Now go back to 2 John chapter, or verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world. Okay, we know that. Now, John's specific address here is the same address that he mentioned in 1 John. He says, who confess. That means they agree, and specifically they agree not, they confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Now, I'm just going to make a statement here. There, if, if you have a religion that denies Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, or that he is God, they do not have the Father. Period. 1 John teaches that to us. You cannot have the Father and deny the Son. A major world religion is Jehovah's Witnesses. And they are very active in their physical presentation of visitation. Do you have a moment? Can we talk? Those and I'm just saying this to be plain. The individual is deceived, but that doctrine is a damnable heresy. What is that doctrine in Jehovah's Witness? They do not believe that Jesus is God. They will have the entire New Testament exactly as your New Testament is, but in their translation, they change a few things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. They change it. They change it to make it so that they can say, well, Jesus is a created being. He attained deity. They deny the Trinity. Why is this significant? You deny the Son. If there is an eternal Father by characteristic of that designation of Father and that He was eternally a Father, there must have been an eternal Son. Has to. But they deny that. And this is the warning that is said to this church, you're doing good, things are going well, don't forget, deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. John does not say, he does not mince any words here. He says they're deceivers and they're of that end time spirit. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, and, but that we receive a full reward. You want a proof text for the fact that you can miss out on rewards because you fall into error, it's this right here. And nobody is teaching Second John. Well, I don't want to say nobody, but very few. Why? Because this is a book of practice. This is a book of, okay, you know the truth. Now let's, let's walk in that truth. You ever seen, or do you remember when the training wheels came off of your bike? Maybe they were never on. I was a 90s kid, so we had training wheels. I remember the day those things came off. It was like that bicycle that I knew so well was a foreign instrument of death. You know? 
I will never forget my younger brother learning how to brake on his BMX bike. If you know those bikes, there's no brakes on the front. Some of you are laughing because you know this. There's no brakes. You can squeeze them handlebars as hard as you want. Nothing's stopping. You got a back pedal, right? And that stops whatever it does, kicks that uh, back tire into an isolated state, and you skid to a stop. I'll never forget my uncle's white Monte Carlo, the two-door one, and Cody is just, I mean, he's flooring it in this thing. And I'm like, hit the brake, stop. And he's going. (laughs) And he goes, boom, right into my uncle's Monte Carlo. And we don't have that Monte Carlo anymore, but I just remember that skid mark. Every time we go to the beach, I'd see that black indentation. I'm like, that's Cody. That's my brother. (laughs) He did the same thing. (laughs) He loved that BMX bike because it had the pegs on it. You could like, you know, pop it up and stuff like that. He did that to somebody else's car over here on Paula Drive when we were coming back from the library. And that lady, God bless her, she was very kind. She just looked at my brother and was like, don't worry about it. But he hit her, uh, you know, she was at a stop sign. He hit the side and skidded over the hood. No damage to him except the embarrassment. You know, I'm pretty sure wherever he is right now, he's like, why do I feel hot and flushed? But he had an idea of how that thing worked, but it, didn't, it, it was not correct. Okay, 2 John is not for people that are learning how to ride. For people that are riding, they're doing well. And this is a reminder, there are deceivers out there. Make sure that you do not disqualify yourself from rewards. You want to get a full reward. How do we do that? You just stay close to the truth. Isn't that easy? To, that's so easy to do in, in theory. But you actually have to do it, meaning you've got to know this Bible. You've got to know the Word. Then he makes a statement here. Verse 9, I think he's referring back to those in verse 7 who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We're running out of time, so please write these references very quickly. This is not the first time that John mentioned this statement. 1 John 2.18, 1 John 2.22-23, 1 John 2.27, in 1 John 4, 1 through 3, all detail the specific heresy of denying that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It's the test for every spirit. Believe not every spirit. It's one of the only times, 1 John chapter 4, where you actually see the phrase believe not. Pretty significant. Believe not every spirit. A lot of people like to use that for demonic possession. Like, oh, you know. But I, I, I've, I used to think that way. I've come to the conclusion now, that's talking about teachers. That's talking about people that say they know the truth. Don't believe everybody because they have a coat or an ID card that says Christian pastor or Christian teacher. You've got to verify by what they say about Jesus. You get right to the heart of the matter. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who paid for the sins of the world? Well, yes, yes. But that's not how we're saved. Okay, well, you're denying the power. You're denying his title. It's what the Son of God is from the the foundation of the world. Whosoever, verse 9, transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he he hath both the Father and the Son. Now, we know this has to be talking about whether a person is saved or not because of the last part of that statement. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. This is not talking about a believer who falls away. 
and falls into error and ends up denying the Son. There is, a, there, there is an address for those believers, and it's in First or Second Timothy that if we deny him, uh, he will deny us of rewards. But then it says, if we believe not, he is faithful. God knows the ones who are his. This specifically is talking about the deceivers who are going to come in, and they're not saved. They're not teaching the truth because they deny that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 10, if there come any unto you, now this is, this is where the lump in the throat starts to happen, where you're like, this seems harsh. But you'll see why this is a harsh direct, directive. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, what doctrine? That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Receive him not into your house. A moment ago I talked about Jehovah's Witnesses. It's my standing policy that when somebody knocks on my door with a religion that denies the power of God or that Jesus has come in the flesh, I will talk to them outside my house. I will be kind to them in that way. But I do not let them in. I don't think that's the main point of this verse, but it's a good practice. Here's why. You may give the appearance that we're on the same, we're doing the same thing. We're not. We're not. You may use the same words that I use. You may use the same phrases that I use, but we're not on the same team. You are opposed to the God that can save you. They need to know that. Now, I don't mean that means you're like, spear them right there, and it's like, oh, you know, that's not the point. But be careful that you don't make it seem like, hey, this is a minor issue. This is the issue. If we're not clear on this, it's a matter between heaven and hell, folks. In direct application, I think what this is saying is we don't let that type of doctrine into the church. Sunday school, all the way up to a main preaching opportunity. I want you to know this too. When I leave and I travel and stuff, I don't take the person who stands here lightly. The person that stands here has the expectation to teach the word and to teach it correctly. And what an embarrassment it would be if there was somebody that I put in here for the sake of putting in here and they taught error. You know how, I know how, how destructive that can be? I think that's why this, this statement is here. Do not receive, him not receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. What does it mean to bid God's speed? That God be with you. Folks, they're denying God. He's not going to be with them. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. For he that biddeth him good God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now, how is that so? Again, you send somebody on their way and you say, you know, God bless you in your endeavor. God bless you. You're telling them that it is your prayer that God would bless their doctrine. Think about what that means. I'm a, I am typically very careful when I say God bless you to other people. I typically don't say it unless, of course, they sneeze. But most of the time, if I'm talking to someone, there's a disagreement, I'm not going to give them God's blessing. They need to change their mind. Well, pastor, you're so harsh and you're so difficult. That's mean. Guys, God obviously thought it was important enough to mention it. Because this is how error slips in. 
Oh, you know, they're just like us, just different things. It's not. They're not just like us. I think Trent knows that most often because of the comment section on our YouTube channel, which just hit like 5,000 subscribers, by the way, which is like amazing. I know that's not anywhere near what most churches are, but there's a lot of activity going on. There's a lot of people who sneak in there and they want to boom, 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 boom. And we're not of that. And we've got to call it out for what it is. You want the person to change their mind, but the doctrine, you know if there's ever a lie that's told, Satan is the author of it. You don't have to question that at all. Well, maybe that came from Fox News. No, Satan is the one who authored that lie. And when you partake in it and say, God bless it, you're blessing what Satan's doing. Stop it. Get some help. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Then he makes this conclusion here. We didn't get a chance to look in uh, 1 Timothy, but maybe we'll get there another time that we do this. But he says this last few statements here in his closing. Having many things to write unto you. (laughs) I kind of laugh because the book is so short. (laughs) A lot of other things he wanted to say, but he was planning on seeing them. I, write, uh, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face. I want you to see the significance of this phrase. What's that phrase say? That our joy may be full? What is the opportunity that John has to be face to face with these believers? Fellowship. Fellowship. So when you read that statement in 1 John, these things write unto you that your joy may be full. You know 1 John is not trying to teach you that you're really saved. It's trying to teach you how to have real, genuine fellowship with the Lord, folks. And that's what John was looking forward to. I can't wait to actually see you. Put my arms around you. Fellowship, that our joy may be full. What's the fullness of joy then there? We get to be with one another who are like-minded, of the same accord. Then he says in verse 13, the children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. You can close your Bibles. Good statements there, and it's just a little bit of verses. The verse I really want you to, to, you know, to focus on is in verse 8 there. Look to yourselves. There is a standard of expectation from God for you to keep the gates clean. Keep making sure the windows, you can see through them. That the house is picked up, because otherwise that's how bugs and all these other things get in there, and it ruins the house. Practice and performance, practice and performance. If you're practicing error, you're going to perform poorly. You're going to miss out on rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, but you're going to be very ineffective for God and very effective for the devil. If you practice correctly, you'll have high performance and you can have a fullness of joy. That's what so many believers are missing out on today. Genuine believers, people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, they're more miserable now than ever. And it's not because there's not enough good churches. It's because there's not enough people that are walking in the truth. I've told you this before, and I said it to a guy recently. He's called me three or four times from California. He says, I can't find a church. I can't find a church. I said, I don't say this lightly, but maybe you should start one. You have the truth. I don't have money to rent a building. Do you have a house? Open up your home. I don't have the right training. We will give you what you need here at Florida Bible College of Tampa to get you started. But sometimes people need to change that thinking. Instead of always looking for some other ready-to-go meal, prepare it yourself. You know, David learned to do that as he waited for Saul. 
He was already going to be king. He waited and waited. What did he have to do? He had to learn to encourage himself in the Lord. Boy, if I ran to you know, my board every time that I was sad and discouraged and I said, guys, I need you, what's going to happen when all the calls go to voicemail? Well, my faith is going to crumble? I need to learn how to encourage myself in the Lord. How do you do that? It's not by mindless repetition. It's this. Knowing this and applying it. Knowing this and applying it. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about tonight. I think that's a good book. You can easily memorize that, and there's some great stuff there. But it's built off of 1 John, and we've talked about 1 John incessantly for quite a while. I want to share with you how you can know that you have eternal life. Many people don't know this. They depend on themselves or some church to determine whether they're saved or not. But you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt today, before you walk out, that on the day of your death, you're going to heaven. This hand is going to represent you and me. This will represent sin. I put this on top of my hand because for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible also says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. There's no amount of good works or good deeds that we could ever perform to pay for sin because that's not the payment for sin. The wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to die for this. It's not, well, I went to church and I didn't do this and I did that. It's not those things that save us. Somebody's got to take our place because if we were to die for this, we spend an eternity in hell separated from God forever. We don't understand that concept because today is going to end and tomorrow is going to begin. But there is eternity, folks, and people are already in, in, in agony and torment today, and it will not cease until they stand before God at the great white throne judgment, and then they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Do you realize it's a reality for people? Sin is serious. And a couple good deeds and a, and a, and a good winning streak is not going to pay for it. This hand's going to represent Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He took all that sin when He was on the cross. He paid for it and He cried out before He even gave up the ghost. He cried out and declared, it's finished. What's finished? The payment for this? Finished. He was buried and He rose again three days later and then He ascended. And, he, and, and, and that payment has been accepted. There's a payment ready to be applied to your account. So what's the difference then? If, if, if God accepted the payment of Jesus Christ and it's already accepted, it's already made, then why do people go to hell? Why don't we just teach universalism? Because it's not yet applied to your account. Well, how do I get it applied? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, there's the application, you believe on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who shed His blood, died on that cross, rose again, you receive, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's a certain kind of life, folks. It's everlasting. And you can know. Well, how can I know? What if I end up sinning? Well, ask yourself this question. This is a good test. Did I sin? Yes. How many sins did Jesus pay for? All of them. Is that sin covered? Yes. You're still saved. And I'm going to give you a little cheat code answer. That equation will never change. Except one day you're going to go, did I sin? No, I can't. How so? When does that happen? When you're dead and you're alive in Christ. <laughs> when you get the glorified body, you're not even going to ask that question because you're going to see him and be like him. Amen. I want you to have that security. Would you go to the 
Lord with me tonight in prayer. Bow your head, please, and close your eyes. If you're here tonight and that makes sense to you, you say, Pastor, I walked in here and I wasn't sure that I was going to go to heaven, but now I do know. I understand that Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of my sins. I've put my trust in him and him alone. Would you pray for me? I got saved tonight. I know I'm going to heaven. I would certainly pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and let me know? Raising your hand doesn't save you. There's no pressure here. I just want to give you the opportunity to receive prayer. Anyone at all before we close tonight? Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. Practice and performance. Practice and performance. What a wonderful opportunity we have in this Christian life to give back. Knowing that God will reward us for it, but understanding what the true definition of love is. We serve the Savior. Please be careful with the things that you allow into your homes, into the margins of your Bible, into your devotional time. Please know the truth well enough to spot error. And if you ever need help with something, I, as your pastor, I'm here. But bring it to the Lord as well. Father, thank you for this time together. I I ask that you bless all those here in attendance and the Awana happening in the back. Bring us here safely for our Wednesday night prayer meetings. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. All right, Brother James is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Here you go. Thank you. All right, thank you for that message, Pastor Jesse. If you could all stand. I'm going to turn to number 176, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching o'er silent flocks by night, Behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Great singing, everyone. We hope to see you Wednesday night.